welcome back or welcome to a new episode of In Check with Fintech. Um, today, the second part of our uh, two-part podcast series together with uh, Nico Strauss from the uh, Rebel Bank. Um, in this series, for those of you who haven't listened um, to uh, last week's episode, I highly recommend you to go back and uh, definitely listen to that. Uh, but we'll talk about, um, last week we talked about banking as a service, uh, and this week we'll talk about uh, payments and uh, identity. So quick recap of what we have been discussing um, last week. So we talked about uh, banking as a service um, in the grand scheme of things. We'll talk about what banking as a service means to Rabobank, what it is that they're uh, doing towards banking as a service. Um we we'll talked about the opportunities with banking as a service, not just within financial services, but definitely also beyond. So we talk about the impact on, on society. Um, we talk about data, which is a big part of that. Um, and also what's, what's kind of the vision for what's going to come in the next few years um, within, uh, within uh, banking as a service. Um, Nico, welcome back. Thank you very much, Rogier. Good to be back. Good to have you again. Is, is there something of that recap that I'm forgetting about last week? Something else that you think is essential to maybe also mention as a teaser for those who haven't listened or as a reminder for people who've <laughs> listened to last week's episode? Um, if nothing else, just that, you know, it, that, that's a market that's just starting. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, in the next year um, or five. And for me, it's interesting to ensure that, you know, we're well positioned. And we can start mixing uh, more and more of the services that a bank provides in ways that customers can actually use them. So, yeah, I definitely would recommend it as well. Great. Good. Um, so, yeah, so, so payments and identity today. We touched on it last week a little bit. I think we talked about QR codes regarding payments. Um, we talked about um, identifying yourselves with um, um, a daycare or at a daycare, for example, if you're not the parent, so that uh, daycares can make sure that um, you are picking up the kids is actually the right person to pick up the kids. Um, yep. How does payments overlap with identity, in your opinion? Um, well, payments these days is quite mature, right? Um, uh, th th that's a major part of fintech. Uh, identity being slightly younger uh, and also not as well set up on the regulatory side yet, um, it is growing quite fast now. And more and more, uh, we believe that you'll see payments and identities journeys that customers or consumers want to execute starting to mix uh, more. Um, so for us, it's a very interesting space uh, to be in. And uh, historically speaking, you know, every bank in the world has been gathering massive amounts of data around their consumers and their customers, um, which here in the Netherlands, for instance, uh, we utilize to enable consumers to identify themselves using the IDIN scheme um, in the same way that they're used to execute a payment. Um, and, and from a mindset perspective, you know, um, either you're pushing a payment or you're pushing your identity, you can use almost the same rails, right? If I think about identity and payments, I think about KYC, um, I think about uh, AML, I think about CBD. Is that fair? Yeah. Or is, the, is that just a small component of identity and payments, you think? Uh, I think they're, they're inextricably linked to each other. And, and of course, you know, we've, we've been in the CBD KYC game as a bank um, from the inception of those words. Um, and, you know, we utilize uh, identity flows more and more in our own CDD and KYC processes, right? And that, that can be as simple as, you know, not having to do a paper contract, but signing it digitally to actually proving uh, who, who uh, you are uh, in any given customer journey. Um, so, so that is blending more and more, not just internally in the bank, but we're, we're utilizing the expertise that we have 
to enable our customers to do similar sorts of journeys uh, for their customers. And you say uh, payments is quite mature. Indeed, we discussed that as well uh, last week. Um, yep. Identity is quite mature in the sense of, uh, like you said, KYC, AML, CDD, stuff that Rabobank has been working on, obviously, for, for many years, now decades. Yep. Where do you see the opportunities for, in both? Let's start with payments. Where do you see the opportunities in the payment space right now? Uh, I think I think that is now becoming very very interesting because um, you know not to put too fine a point on it, but quote unquote the 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 easy growth is starting to level off. You know the massive growth growth that the whole globe has seen in e-commerce. Um, those growth numbers on an annual basis are starting to level off. Um, it's a mature industry, um, so the margins are all under pressure. So you see a lot of people consolidating. If I then uh, look, look back at Rabobank itself, I mean, I think one of the better kept secrets here in the Dutch market is the Rabobank is actually quite big in the payment space. I mean, we, we service more than 100,000 customers uh, on a daily basis with their entire payment flows. And that runs, um, you know, the whole breadth of the market from um, small mom and pop shops to, you know, very large corporate uh, companies that utilize our services. So in the payment space, uh, I think we already have a, a very well-established base. And interestingly, now we're looking more and more towards the SME space and sort of mid-corp. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, I'm not in a position to go after the payment flow of Apple, for instance, um, although we do help them with, um, with Apple Pay. Uh, but but there's more and more value uh, in uh, sort of the the, the mid-sized companies um, that 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 you see and that we're very well positioned to go after. Obviously speaking, then more and more that needs to happen um, in in what we call an omni-channel way. Now, st still again, an, a bit of a watchword, but um, simply put, you're you're talking offline payments where the the cardholder is present and online payments where the cardholder is not present. Um, and, and you're seeing more of that happen now. Also off the back of um, COVID, you see uh, more classical physical retailers going online, uh, but you also see more online players uh, acting in an offline space. And for us, um, it is a given that, that you, know, you need to be able to service payments customers uh, on both ends of that spectrum. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting time in payments as well. Um, uh, looking back uh, again to... Um, uh, the research that you see coming out in the market, I mean, happily speaking, um, it's not just me saying this, but for instance, again, you know, McKinsey published their um, annual payments report, I think, two, three weeks ago, mid-October. And they're also saying that, you know, the, the payments pie is still growing, um, but the amount of value in the payments pie is still growing fastest in the, the SME mid-corp space. Um, not just out of payments, but also value-added services. That, that brings us around back again to the banking as a service angle. If you can add you know, lending facilities, uh, if you can add other journeys to the payment space, um, then you can help more customers more effectively. Um, and then you know, we're, we're not just the only ones doing that. I mean, you see Amazon providing loans. Um, you see WorldPay, my old employer, doing the same thing in the UK market. Um, and, and we see more of that happening. So that covers off the, that, yeah, go ahead with here. No, I was, uh, was going to say that that's interesting. And, and but my next question was going to be in line with that kind of, do you mm. see then also a shift? You just talked about uh, COVID and then offline retailers going to online and the other way around sometimes, although I can imagine it's probably more offline to online. But do you see a sure. shift in payment behavior as well by consumers? I mean, 
Yeah, no, we, we, we have definitely seen that, right? So, um, you know, the growth in, for instance, um, Apple Pay here in the Dutch market is, is very good. Um, we're seeing much more contactless, uh, so a reduction of, of cash payments here in the Dutch market, um, and, and the blending thereof, if you will. So a funny example here at Rabobank that we're, um, we're, we're, we're set to release is, for instance, a static QR code um, that farmers here in the Dutch market can put by the wayside um, to sell their produce direct to consumer, right? Um, so, so, you know... Um, Think of it as the, the, the famous Dutch thing is white asparagus. The farmers tend to sell those themselves. Now, these days, they can put a static QR by the side of the road, charge their 10 euros for their asparagus, and uh, you know the buying customer can be on their way. Is, is you're bringing the online into an offline space, and, and that blending will happen more and more. And if you want to leverage that effectively, you need to be able to offer both, which is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah QR codes when you go to uh, Asia, but also if you see uh, Chinese consumers in, in Europe, they do nothing else in paying with QR codes. Um, I think Alipay was one of the first ones, at least that I know of, um, who started with that. Is there, next to QR codes, do you see an adoption of other payment methods now as well? I mean, you mentioned that um, last week that um, you see an adoption, obviously, of card payments of, over yeah. cash, uh, but we always had card payments around. But is there other new payment methods that you see coming up at the moment? Um, yeah, there are the, I used to work in alternative payment methods over at WorldPay, uh, and that's a very interesting space. Um, but, you know, here, here for the Dutch market, I, I see more of that, that blending happening, if you will, um, of different elements of different payment methods being used. So something, for example, of that, that we launched quite recently on the issuing side is, you know, enabling Rabobank uh, cardholders to uh, execute one-click payments here in the Dutch market um, via a large online supermarket called Picnic. Um, and, and that's something that, historically speaking, you can very effectively do in the Dutch market because everybody uses Ideal. Um, and I think there's more of that going on uh, than actual full-on new payment methods. It's more, you know, let's take the tools that we currently have and utilize different elements of those tools so that the customers can get a better journey. Yeah, that's really interesting. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. Um, what about identity? What kind of opportunities do you see or does Rabobank see in that space? I, I think there's a lot going on there already. Um, so, so for us, you're, you're, you're looking a lot at, um, you know, what are the customers and the sectors where these businesses have, you know, more requirements than the average web shop to understand what the identity is of the people they're doing business with, right? So think of, you know, insurance, mortgages, healthcare, government services, et cetera, et cetera. They, they have their own requirements for establishing the identity of the people they're doing business with. 
Um, so we're seeing quite a lot of growth um, in that space with regards to identity journeys becoming more and more prevalent in the you know average day-to-day activities of any given consumer or business. And we talked about you know the uh, the employment agency case and the telco case um, on on last week's episode. Um, restaurants as well. Um, and Corona is accelerating that. So you know I think we stand at the beginning of identity becoming maybe not the similar size as payments, um, but definitely the prevalence will become the same. How do you approach identity then, or how does Rabobank approach that uh, identity opportunity? You just about talked about uh, Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that is that the way you approach it, or is there also other ways of, of approaching this yeah, opportunity? No, I mean, I think banks in general, but Rabo more specifically, have also learned from the past. Um, you know, historically speaking, there there was a lot of, you know, quote unquote, not invented here syndrome. Um, so this is already, I think, 10 years ago. But, you know, a lot of banks in the world didn't really want to work with anyone else to establish new services. These days, um, that's different. So we, we here at Rabobank, we partner with uh, Signicat, um, who have been growing, you know, very steadily over the past years. Uh, recently did an acquisition here in the Netherlands um, to acquire Connectis. And are going quite quite well on the, on the European scale, um, and and we partner with them quite intimately actually to to bring identity services to uh, Rabobank customers, but also you know wider here in the Netherlands to all kinds of customers uh, by working together. And that's then just not just the IDIN scheme that happens to be owned by the banks, um, but also the wider product palette that um, uh, that that Signicap brings to the table, which is why we partner for them. So you know, it's identification, authorization, contract signing, um, basically every type of journey that you would want to have happen uh, for your customers. Um, we partner with Signicap for. Interesting. Yeah, Signicap, I think is from Norway. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So in the collaborative um, DNA, if you will, of the Rabobank. You start yep. to collaborate with these kind of third parties. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's that's part and parcel of what we do, right? And <laughs> historically speaking, being a, a cooperative bank was something uh, that that somebody used to chuckle at. Uh, but I think you know that history and that willingness to work with other parties, uh, not just in a commercial sense, but also in a societal sense, as we talked about last time, um, is actually a big added value for a bank to have that as part of your base culture and DNA. As a financial services company, you know we're always up for working with different parties to ensure that you know, be it the customer um, or a consumer, can get what they need. Yeah, great approach, I think. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever changing, and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Um, looking again at the current situation, uh, COVID, um, how has that increased the relevance of identity? Has it increased it or has it remained the same? Or how do you see that? Oh, it's definitely increased it massively. Um, so, you know, it's becoming a requirement more and more in, in different journeys, you know, to bring up that restaurant case again. Um, I've experienced this myself in, uh, in Belgium this year, uh, but also in the Netherlands. Um, you know, restaurants are currently maintaining 
paper lists where you write down your phone number. That, that's quite clunky, right? Wouldn't it be easier if you can just, you know, walk into the restaurant, scan a QR code, push only the data that you want to be pushed that is relevant for Corona tracing so that that restaurant can provide better service to their customers. And, you know, the consumer doesn't have as much hassle in writing down their bloody phone number and, and can just get to uh, get to dinner. So in that sense, you know, COVID has you know, brought a lot of acceleration to the insight, not just that we already had out of our own business unit here at Rabobank, but more the acceptance by the wider market of, hey, we have all these tools these days and we can actually use them to make our customers' lives easier. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's moving at quite a fast clip nowadays. Were these ideas there before we, we got into this situation? Um, and is it something that's came out of kind of a, how do you say, a natural flow of, of, the, of the pandemic that we're in? Or were these kind of ideas already been put into practice before Corona, but now they just became more evident how useful they are and, and how yep. good they are? I think the latter. I think the latter. So a lot of this, you know, was already there. Um, I think what's really cool these days is that the wider market is really starting to get that. And these days they're actually coming to us and saying, you know, I can, I can do A right now, but how about if we mix and match um, a little piece of payments and this functionality from identity so that I can achieve a new um, customer journey. And that's basically what we've, um, what, what we've built ourselves to be able to do is take these different uh, industries and then, you know, be able to move with that customer to provide the service that they're looking for. So, yeah, the latter. Uh, tools are already there, uh, but now the market is bringing a lot of ideas to us. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be operating in, in this space these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you see those opportunities go beyond the borders of the Netherlands? Do you feel that there's opportunities which are similar across Europe, or is it hard to say? I think that's that's really difficult because, um, you know, it's a national government that um, basically defines what it is to be identified within that national government. Now, of course, you have, you know, European legislation like EADAS um, that, that requires these identity schemes to communicate across borders. Um, and, you know, looking towards the future, more and more local national schemes will be accepted across borders. So ultimately speaking, um, you should be able to use a Belgian identity scheme to identify yourself um, here in the Netherlands for Dutch government services. I mean, that's that's what the regulator has in front of them as an end state vision. Um, and that that those are journeys that we're working on as well on a day to day basis. And I think you, if I remember correctly, you talked last week about um, how the European Union together with the ECB is now looking at a data program, right? That might excel, I guess, a more of a European approach. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although, um, you know, it's always it's always a bit dangerous here to get your hopes up too soon. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a function of the EU itself, right? These are 28 different member states who all have their own requirements. And uh, you see that that does add a layer of complexity to any, you know, pan-European thing that you want to achieve. You've got to deal with the requirements of 28 countries. Um, ultimately, that makes for, for better services with broader support, but it takes a little bit longer uh, to get it kick-started, right? So think, if you think back to, you know, the implementation of um, uh, PSD2, PSD1, uh, SEPA, for instance, uh, you know, the first time uh, the whole European market had to do 3D Secure, um, like 10 years ago, 
Um, it, it takes a while, but once it's there, uh, it can be utilized effectively. Yeah. Euro might be another example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps, but then I would be speaking outside of my uh, terrain of expertise over here. <laughs> I won't go there. Uh, yeah. hey, last week you talked about a use case uh, of Aegon. Uh, where yeah. you decrease kind of the, uh, yeah, by digital onboarding, decrease the onboarding time from 15 days to uh, 15 seconds. Any other really cool use cases that uh, that you have that Rabobank is working on or has already implemented and rolled out regarding identity, I mean, and maybe even payments? Yeah, I mean, I've given you the picnic example. And then last yeah. week we talked about, um, you know, mixing those three into one journey uh, for, for a customer. Um, I, I think right now in the identity space, um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult market, but more and more with regards to healthcare, we're also starting to make inroads. Now, this is something that is, is you know, a sensitive subject area, um, given, uh, you know, the sensitivity uh, and, and privacy laws here. Um, but generally speaking, you know, you do have the tools in place to enable um, the consumer with full control, because that's important. You know, we only gather data that the consumer wants us to gather and then execute journeys that they want us to execute. Um, but, you know, towards the future, I think that that would also alleviate a lot of hassle and a lot of paperwork for a lot of both companies and consumers uh, down the road. Um, we've already started on this, um, so I can't name names, but, um, you know, we've recently started to make it easier um, for healthcare companies to communicate on behalf of their customers with their explicit consent um, with hospitals and care facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that this is also, I think, where we as a bank are quite well positioned um, because you know, we're an extremely highly regulated company. So we, we have a very large compliance function that will perhaps more than other companies ask the really difficult questions about privacy and data use um, that, that we as a bank are fairly, you know, naturally attuned to in making sure that we do our homework. You're seen as a trustable player as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, then again, uh, and I've said this before in other interviews, um, that's great if I say it, but you know, I'm a bank, so that's me tooting my own horn. But again, this is why we partner with a company like Signicat, right? So they've run a huge study in Europe, uh, across a couple of thousands of uh, consumers, where they basically ask the question across Europe, you know, if you're going to do identity stuff, who would you trust to do that? Um, and funnily enough, um, banks come out on top in uh, most countries in Europe, you know, um, all the, uh, the social discussion and political discussion about, you know, the function of banks within society. Um, let's not get into that in depth though here, but you know, if you look at a study like that, that SignaCat has executed, it, regardless of everything that that's happened in the past, uh, a lot of consumers still trust their bank, um, with their identity. So that's, I think, um, you know, a very good thing. Luckily they do, because I think after the, the crisis, there was a lack of trust, um, yep. and about looks of things that have definitely increased. And I think that, uh, that's a good yep. development in itself. Um, well, here, I think that's a really interesting point you make. And, and for me, that's actually one of the reasons why I moved from, you know, fintech and e-commerce into banking. Um, because, you know, if you, take, if you take a helicopter view of this and, and you look at the last 10 years, um, uh, big techs were positioned to become, you know, the solver of all our problems. But these days you're, you're seeing that 
that isn't quite panning out as we maybe had all expected that to. Um, so if you look, I mean, as simple as, you know, the, uh, the new documentaries that you see on Netflix, like Social Dilemma, things, things of that nature, more and more, um, you know, social platforms um, having to explain in front of Congress what they're doing. Um, maybe, that, maybe that understanding is starting to shift. Um, and then again, you go back to the historical reason why banks exist. Uh, they are, you know, trust providers. Um, and I think uh, it's a very interesting time to work at a bank um, because, you know, given this shift that we see happening um, over a longer term, uh, I think definitely banks can start taking that role um, up again as a trust provider. Has the role shifted, you think, of a bank as well, or is it indeed more of picking up where they left it? <laughs> Um, I, I think we never stopped actually working on that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take the, <laughs> the defense of the whole banking sector on my shoulders here. Right here. Please don't. Um, but, no, I'm definitely not. But for, for me, um, working at Rabobank, coming from where I come from out of WorldPay, um, you take a tiny part of any given bank, which is, um, you know, payments identity and open banking in this case. You know, large, uh, the, the, the very fast-growing industries, um, and you try to provide uh, a new sense of trust in what it is that any given bank is doing, and in this case, that's Rabo. Really cool. We always a kind of um, uh, finished podcast by asking what's next. So let me let me um, going back to our first our, of last week's episodes. We mm. Talked about banking as a service. Now we talk about payments and, and, and uh, about identity. Yep. For Rabobank, um, and maybe it's, maybe it's the same for you, maybe it's separate from your thoughts, separate from the Rabobank, but let's talk about the Rabobank maybe specifically. What, what does the ideal world look like with regards to those three topics of banking as a service, payments, and identity? Mm. Well, that's a broad and very interesting question you asked there, Rogier. Um, so let me put it this way. Uh, if, I, if I look ahead down the line a little bit, uh, what I would like to see in like, you know, five years, um, is that, you know, if it can be payments, it can be identity and, you know, not just open banking, but open data in a broader sense. We are able to provide not just our customers, but also customers that, you know, sit with other banks with the services and customer journeys that they're looking to execute on, right? And have the people in place um, that are able to help those customers um, in an effective way and, in that time, uh, that there should be a completely new pie, if you will, uh, the word I've been using a lot during uh, these past two podcasts of new services and new ways of interacting uh, that, you know, make life easy for consumers and enable businesses um, to, to transact in the way that they want to. And that can be transacting a payment or transacting an identity or any given data element. We should be able to facilitate that. Yeah, interesting. Cool, Nico. Well, thanks yep. very much. Um, that was it. Thanks for being on the show again of this uh, yeah, second part, but definitely also the uh, the other part last week. Um, mm -hmm. If people want to find out more, want to find out more about you, want to follow Rabobank, where where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn is your uh, is your first port of call. Um, there are a lot of guys in our in our little B two B services tribe who are very regularly posting uh, on uh, LinkedIn around you know what are all the cool things that we're doing. There's a lot more you know, actual live customer cases that you'll see on LinkedIn. So follow, follow anyone um, uh, who works within Try B2B services, and I'm sure you'll uh, start seeing those cases come uh, to the forefront. All right, okay. Um, 
Thanks again, Nico. Um, hope to uh, uh, welcome you another time. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Um, and uh, definitely listen to us again for a new episode uh, next week. And if you've not done so already, don't forget to subscribe um, to our podcast on uh, Spotify or on Apple Podcast. Um, and uh, until next time. Excellent. Thank you very much, Rogier. It was a great pleasure. Thanks, Nico. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free a Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free a Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.